Um, our daughter, Christina, just began her, her nursing career at the uh, Georgetown University uh, Med Center down there, and one of her classes, she went to school at UNC Charlotte, and one of her, her professors one time said, so how many of you have parents who love their job? And Christy's arm went up in a minute like this, and then she kind of looked around, and well, she was the only one whose, whose hand was raised, and, and so then she had the opportunity to tell her what her dad does. And so some of you have probably heard the little adage that says, for your work, if you find something you like to do, you'll never work a day in your life. I have been serving with the Navigators for 38 years. Marlene and I are 18 years at the Naval Academy. I don't feel like I've worked a day at all in my life. I just love what God has put on our hearts to do, and, and to have the freedom, the flexibility, and the resources to do it is what, what a blessing. I'm just going to read to you some of the comments that some of these mids have made. We had a retreat recently, and one of the mids said, the less I give away the gospel, the more I miss out. I've seen the power of prayer and believe that God brings people into his harvest, into his kingdom as people pray, and that God rescues us from life's idleness. And so what I would like to do for just a moment is just kind of look at you, because you really are the heroes of the faith. I mean, sometimes you think of the pastors, or sometimes you think of the missionaries, but in many ways, you are the ones who are on the front lines, and you are the ones that God either uses or desires, desperately desires to use in the life of your family, in the life of your co-workers, in the life of your neighbors, in order to see others come into the kingdom. So I want to thank you for a long time of partnership. Um, I mean, Paul and I were trying to think back how long our relationship goes. It, I don't know, maybe the earth's crust was still hardening. But um, anyways, I want to tell you just one story, and then we'll dismiss the children. Um, and it's a story about a man named Vic. He is in his second year at the Naval Academy. He's African-American. He's really big. He was recruited to play football. In fact, my wife, the first time she met Vic, she said, Ron, did you see the size of Vic's hands? And this guy wears size 14 sneakers, um, but he's got, I mean, as big as his feet are, that's how big his heart is for God. He just loves the Lord, and he loves people. And in one sense, the sad reality is uh, a couple months ago, Vic was diagnosed as having multiple sclerosis. So since he was this big, Vic has thought about a career in the Navy. Well, that's gone. He's going to be probably discharged within days or whatever. And, and so now he's kind of at the phase where, what's next? God, what are you doing? And sometimes that happens. We think we kind of know what God's doing, and then, well, what happened? I mean, I wasn't expecting that curveball to come my way. But Vic and I, we, we still get together we cut through Skype. Um, and uh, last week he told me, he said, Ron, I want my life to fit into God's plan. I'm not trying to fit God into my plan. And so I think the privilege that God has given Marlene and me, these midshipmen, God rescues us out of life's idleness. The more I give away the gospel, the more I receive. And what Vic says, the, the idea of I want my life to fit into God's plan. We, for 18 years, have had the privilege of investing in men like Vic. 
And so thank you for those of you who pray. Thank you. I know you're a giving church. It's kind of like this gentleman here said, this church is not like most churches. It's different. You know, and that's because a lot of you are engaged in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And not only here, but, you know, in the U.S. and to the ends of the earth. So thank you from the depths of my heart. And Robin, where are you? Okay. Shipwrecked, I think, shouldn't just be for kids. I think there are a lot of adults who ought to attend Shipwrecked because it'll be fun, it's short, and it's relevant. (laughs) So anyways, um, thank you for your service and your willingness to serve in that way. Okay, children, now's the time. Head on out. What we're going to look at is this idea of trusting God, and sometimes we'll say, well, isn't there a different option? Do I really have to trust God? Since my New Year's resolution to be safe stuff, people keep asking me if I miss the mayhem. Is being a tennis ball dangling from a string to help you pull your car in far enough as exciting as a roadway collision? No, it's not. Just waiting around trying to protect your house from a lightning strike give me the same rush as being golf ball size hail? Of course not. But if you can stick to your New Year's resolution, then I can stick to mine and be the best road flare I can. What? You couldn't even last two weeks? In that case, consider Mayhem officially back. <laughs> Forget all state. I mean, better protected in 2018 from mayhem. <laughs> like me. Well, Allstate has had a pretty effective advertising campaign. Some of us actually believe that. We insure our cars, we insure our homes, and some of these other possessions with Allstate. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about somebody's hands who are even better than all states, and obviously that's God's. And we're going to take a look at, at Genesis. We're going to look at the life of, of Jacob in Genesis chapter, um, I can't read that, chapter 27 and 28. Um, God, Jacob really enjoyed trusting God. I mean, who wouldn't? Everything was kind of going his way. I mean, he got his father's blessing. Actually, he shouldn't have, but he had the blessing of the elder. So you are going to reign. You're going to be supreme over all your other brethren, and those who bless you will also be blessed. And God blessed Jacob. He said, you know, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sands of the sea are like dust. And so as you go through your Bible and as you read the story of Jacob, or sometimes called Israel, God changed his name, but... Um, you see that he had possessions, he had wives, he had children. He could have sung the song in Oklahoma, everything's going my way. And then things started to go not according to his plan. You know the story, Joseph and the amazing, well, we just had the, the musical down there at the Naval Academy, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Well, anyways, Jacob had sent his sons to Egypt to get some food because there was a famine in the land. And so then he sent Joseph, his favorite son, who had that coat of many colors, to find out, well, hey, how are your brothers doing? 
So they went, or he went, and they saw him coming, and they were very jealous to the point that they wanted to kill him. And then Judah decided, oh, well, let's not kill him. There's no benefit in that. Let's just sell him. And so they sold him, and then they communicated back to Dad. Well, sorry, Dad, but, you know, your favorite son, our brother, he was, he was mauled, and he's no longer with us. Here's his, this is his coat, is it not? And, of course, Jacob was able to identify his coat. So Jacob, he, he, he had lost his son, Joseph, or so he thought. And so that caused him to begin to wonder, hmm, is God really good? Is God in control? And there's, there's famine. There's famine in the land. It's like, so now he's not even able to eat. And um, the first time he went and he sent his sons down there, that prime minister of Egypt, what did he do? He kept Simeon. And so now he's, Jacob has lost Simeon. Of course, now he didn't know that the prime minister was actually Joseph and that Simeon was kept as a, as a hostage, so to speak, to ensure that their brothers were coming back. And if that wasn't bad enough, what this prime minister of Egypt was asking for, you want more food? You've got to bring Benjamin. And so Jacob's here, oh, I don't know. I don't know, God. I mean, Benjamin, my youngest, he's, he's the second born of Rachel. He's just, he's just so precious. You've seen the Lord of the, my precious, Lord of the Rings, my precious, the ring. Um, but when things don't go according to our plans, sometimes we begin to wonder, God, do you really, do you really care? God, are you here? God, are you able? And uh, my dad, three years ago, well, yeah, lost his wife of 62 years. And uh, two visits ago, I was visiting with dad and and he says, you know, Ron, I don't think God answers prayer. I said, well, Dad, that's a rather profound statement to make. What do you mean? And he, said, and he said, well, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I said, so, Dad, you've been praying that prayer for three years. He said, yes. And here I am. I'm still alive. So you've been praying that God takes you? And dad said, well, I told you that when your mother died, my reason for living died. And so I said, dad, if God were to say yes and to take you, and then if he were to ask you the question, well, why, Lamont, that's my dad's name, should I allow you into heaven, what would you say? And dad said, well, I was a good provider for you kids. You know, we had a a good time. I was faithful to your, to your mother, and, and, and he started going on about all the things that he did. I said, so, Dad, if salvation is dependent upon you and what you've done, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? And Dad couldn't answer. Now, Dad grew up in a church. He was the, he was the Sunday school superintendent. I was the assistant Sunday school superintendent. Dad was religious but he did not have a relationship. And to make a long story short, God gave me the opportunity of praying with Dad. And so God revealed himself. And uh, two visits ago, he said, Now, Ron, I'm going to need a Bible, so you need to get me a, a large print Bible. So I'm hoping Dad's going to be able to see that. You know, he, He's kind of deaf in the one ear, and when I got his glasses the last time, I picked them up and the lens fell out. And you know, He doesn't want to spend money to... To, to fix them because he says, well, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. In fact, they've, they've called in hospice. But sometimes 
Hard times really cause us to question, does God really know what he's doing? I mean, I'm not going to offer a Benjamin Jacobs. I mean, he's really special to me. He's, he's very precious. He's kind of the only thing I have left of Rachel's, of, of kind of the line or lineage of Rachel. And, and there is famine in the land, and that was not unusual because rain was, was, not, was kind of sporadic. And there were a lot of wars, and there were pestilence. And, and he, like I said earlier, he had already lost Simeon, and he wasn't sure that he was going to be able to send Benjamin. Can I really trust God? I mean, he is my youngest son. So you moms and dads, think about that. You thought you've already lost your firstborn, and now you're lastborn? Can I do that? And Jacob, quite frankly, I'm not sure, was so, so confident that he could trust Judah. Because Judah didn't have a very good track record. Whose idea was it to sell Joseph anyways? It was Judas. He thought, well, hey, let's go ahead and we'll have a little money here. And then if you read in Genesis, uh, you'll also see that Jacob, or not Jacob, that uh, Judah slept with his daughter-in-law. Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's all in, that, in the Bible. Um, now, I think in, when we get to this story in Genesis 43, we begin seeing the redemption and the, and the change in Judah's heart. But so that was the bottom line. I mean, Jacob's probably asking himself the question, well, can I trust Judah? Really? I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I know, I know he made him, he said, well, his life, Benjamin's life for mine, but I mean, it's still, I mean, Benjamin is Benjamin. And so Jacob did conclude, yes. I can trust God, even with my son, my precious son, Benjamin. And so he says, all right, you guys, we need the food. Take Benjamin, and may God Almighty give you mercy. Well, maybe today God wants something precious of yours. And, and, and I heard Robin's plea. One of the things that's most precious to our midshipmen at the Naval Academy is time. You know, it's probably even more valuable than money. And it's like, oh, well, I, I just don't have the time. And, and well, to serve in shipwrecked, in VBS, I don't know what it is that God may be asking of you. But he wants all of you. He wants your heart. And uh, Rob Runnels, who was our mid-president last year, he went with me to Uganda. One of the messages he preached was, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. In essence, you've got to trust God. And, and there are many things that don't make sense. Sometimes God will ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. When God asked Ron and Marlene to go to Uganda, really? Uganda? I mean, we were living in Christmas City, USA, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We could leave the car doors unlocked. We could leave the front door of our house unlocked. We found a great church. I got to preach in the church, and I was leading a Sunday school class, and Marlene and I were part of the couple's ministry there, and and we were close to her parents and close to my parents. Uganda? I mean, I I don't know about that. But we went down there. Long story short, God made it really, really clear. Ron, Marlene, you got to get out of the boat. you got to trust me, and I want to take you to Uganda. And we were there for 10 years, and there were some hardships. We'll spare you the, the details of those. But those were excellent years. In fact, I had a missionary's dream come true in that I was able to hand the ministry over to train gifted called Ugandans. 
And I've taken six teams of midshipmen and officers back to Uganda, and that ministry has never been broader and deeper than what it is today. But I needed to leave. Uh, There wasn't anything I wanted to come back to. And then God God said, the Naval Academy? Well, that didn't make sense either. In fact, when the navigators, well, Marlene, my wife, said, Ron, guess who called today? I was coming back from McKeretta University. And I said, well, I had no idea, because at that time it was like $8 a minute to call Uganda. And she said, well, it was the navigator's military mission. And I said, well, that must have been a wrong number. You know, because I had never put military mission down on my returning dream sheet. I thought maybe I'll be a pastor or maybe the collegiate or maybe stay involved in international ministries group. Not the military, that's not for me. But the navigators were asking us to continue serving at the Naval Academy. Well, God, how am I going to develop people and train people and prepare people for a life I I don't know anything about? I've never been in the Navy or the Marine Corps. I've never even been in the military. But I have been there 17 years, and I've learned to keep my ears and my eyes open and my mouth shut after I ask the questions. So I have learned. So sometimes, I mean, maybe as you're sitting here today, God may be asking you to do something, and it doesn't make sense. Well, that's par for the course. It's not unusual. Because God wants to get you out of your seats and onto the water where you're going to have to trust him. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen this movie, What About Bob? It came out in 1991, but it's about this psychoanalyst, Dr. Marvin, and this, this guy who's really obsessive, compulsive, neurotic Bob. His name is Bob. And so I remember one of the scenes of the movie, uh, Bob's in the office talking with Dr. Marvin, and, and, and so the time is up, and, and Dr. Marvin says, okay, Bob, you got to leave. Bob said, well, I, I, I can't do that. Oh, oh, yes, you can. What we need to do, Bob, is we need to break these big projects into baby steps. And so, Bob, what I want you to do is I want you to get up. So Bob gets up out of his seat. Oh, that's a great job, Bob. You really did well. How's it feel to be up? And so they talk. He said, okay, now, Bob, I want you to take some baby steps over to that door. And so then Bob walks over there to the door. And all along, the doc is, is commending him. And, and, and so I tell our daughter, our kids, and the mids, I said, you know what? We need to eat the elephant one bite at a time. You know, sometimes it's like, God, you want me to do what? Well, just take a little baby step of faith. And then another step. And then another step, and you'll see God is faithful. God is powerful. God is your protector. God is able. God is here. He is present. And you keep experiencing more and more aspects of the reality of who God is. And so when another step comes, you can say, all right, God, yes, sir, yes, sir, you know, and and you can get going here. So Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8, it says that some trust in horses and some in chariots. Now, If you were at the Naval Academy, you would also hear me say, guys, put a box around your butts. You got to box your butts, you know. And and if you look in my Bible, I got a a box around the butts. Now, why do I tell mids to do that? Because there's a contrast. And take the time to observe the text. So what's it saying? Well, some people trust in, in chariots and horses. But we're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then the contrast is, what happens to those who trust in horses and chariots? And then what happens to those who trust in God? So take the time 
to box your butt and to find out what is the contrast. And I don't know what your horse or your chariot may be. It may be your bank account. It may be your reputation. It may be your experience, your set of skills you have, or whatever it is. But if it is not the Lord your God, beware. Now, God has given us finances. God has given us skills. And he wants us to use those things, but he wants our faith to be placed in him. I mean, there, there are people who say, oh, Ron, I, I could never do what you do in terms of having to trust God for finances. And I said, well, you're supposed to be trusting God for finances as well. It maybe comes through General Electric or General Dynamic, but you've got to be trusting God as well, especially in these days where there is no such thing as job security. And I remember one of our volunteers one time saying, so, Ron, you're paid to be good. He said, I'm good for nothing. You know, because he was just out there and he didn't have to raise support or want to raise support and he was building into the lives of people. So I guess the question, two questions come to mind as I read Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8, is in whom or what am I trusting? Or in whom or what are you trusting, really? When it comes right down to it. And then when you come to making a decision, do you make a decision based in faith Or do you make a decision based based upon fear? My wife, Marlene, oftentimes will ask the female midshipman, so what is God giving you the faith for? And I think that's a good question. God loves for us to get out of the boat. Sometimes we give Peter a bad rap because, you know, he sank. He got his eyes off of Jesus and he was fearful of the waves and whatnot. But you know what? He was the only one who experienced the deliverance of Jesus the hand of Jesus who pulled him up out of the water. There were 11 apostles who sat in that boat because that was more safe. That was more secure. So, if you want to walk on water, God, get out of the boat. Now, fear. What is fear? I got the definition of fear up there. We say, well, there's something out there or, or a person. There's, I don't know. It's going to cause me harm or pain or I'm just, I'm just afraid. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. The Washington Post says that 25.3% of Americans are afraid of doing what I'm doing right now, and that's public speaking. I'll do anything but public speak. I mean, my wife, she says, Ron, you do the talking, and she's much more a behind-the-scenes kind of individual. And, and, and that's fine. Years ago, I mean, well, I'm a slow learner. It wasn't so long ago. But I decided to stop trying to make Marlene me because she's not me. She has her own set of skills and and abilities and talents and perspectives, and that's a good thing. But one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Matthew 14, where Jesus puts the disciples in a boat, and he says, I'm going to go back here, and uh, you guys row to the other side. So it says it happens at about the the fourth watch, which was kind of between three and six. And so now I want you to feel the water. You're in the boat, so it's kind of rocking. You feel the wind on your face, and you, feel, you see the water in the boat. I have a friend of mine who said, boat in the water, good. Water in the boat, not good. Okay? And so there's water coming into this boat, and then in the distance, you see this. Is that a ghost? What is that? And so it's getting closer, and you're getting more and more frightened in your heart. And then Jesus, you didn't know it was Jesus, but Jesus says, hey, It is I. How does that address the topic 
of fear. Hey, guys, it's me. You know me. And so what Jesus was helping them to realize is his identity. I, I'm your Lord. I'm your Messiah. I'm your master. I'm your defender. I'm your salvation. You can trust me. Just think back on what I've done for you. And I shared in the earlier service, uh, inscribed in my wife's wedding ring is Psalm 126.3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we're filled with joy. So think about the great things that God has done for you. Why? Because he loves you. Because you are special. You are precious. Um, And as you do that, then you'll have opportunity to walk by faith. And so God says, or Jesus says, hey, I'm faithful. I'm dependable. You, you, you can trust me. I'm omnipotent. I, and so there's a whole litany of things that God is, is responsible for. Well, my question then is, did Peter really believe it? Peter's there, hey, well, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come on, walk on water. Let me come to you. So... Now, Dave, would you walk on water? Well, I'm not sure I'm going to get out of the boat. That's kind of a, those waves and wind. It's pretty windy out there. And then there's this thing called gravity. You know, and I know that if I step out of the boat, I'm going to sink. But Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. Did Peter go? Yes. We know that he believed it. Why? Because he got out of the boat. And he began to walk on water. So, then my question for us is, what do we really believe to be true of God? One of the things I ask people to pray for us at the ministry down there at the Naval Academy is that people, or that the midshipmen and officers see Jesus for who he is. Because if they see him for who he is, they will serve him as they ought. They will see him as worthy. We sang about that earlier. You know, Jesus, you are worthy, and it doesn't matter what he's asking of me. He is worth the best that I have and the best that I am, whether it's my time, my skill set, my finances. Pastor Paul loves telling the story of the time that he and a couple from church here, uh, a couple of the men moved us down to Annapolis. And if you've never heard that story, have them tell, tell it to you. It's really quite the story. But God loves to use us in his kingdom's work, but we've got to get out of the boat. And oftentimes, we don't want to do that because it's safer to be in the boat. And we're not, we don't have the conviction that, well, God's here, and he is able. And out of that conviction can come courage. That's what those disciples needed when Jesus said, oh, it's, hey, it's okay, guys, it's me. Well, that gave them courage. It gave them confidence. And then they could press on. They can complete the mission that Jesus had given them to do, and they rode to the other side. And the same thing is true for us today. So, are we really trusting God or not? And I believe that we obey our way to greater faith. Marlene and I had to raise $47,300. That was the largest cash project I had ever heard of a missionary needing to raise. Well, at the time, we were at Lehigh University, and I had a, a little Bible study with some football coaches. And one of them didn't even know Jesus. But you know what he did? He had a thermometer. And every week I went in there, um, he would say, okay, so, Ron, what did your God do this week? 
And then next week, what did God do? And so the thermometer overflowed because God provided. So I saw God was able to do that huge, to me, was a huge thing. For him, it was a piece of cake, I guess, dropping a bucket. But for me, that was a, I, God, I don't even know that many people. How in the world is that going to happen? But he did it. And this same football coach, he had gone through a nasty divorce, and he tried for a year to sell his house. And I said, Fred, would it be okay if we just pray and ask God to sell your house? Do whatever you want, Ron. The next week, Fred's got this big smile on his face. I said, Fred, God sold your house, didn't he? He said, yep. Now, God doesn't always have to answer that way, and he doesn't always do it. But in that case, he did. Well, I don't know if Fred's in the kingdom yet or not. But I was trying to help Fred get out of the boat. Um, probably one of the most famous passages on fear, on not being afraid, is Isaiah 41.10. And I've got it up there for you. And God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to uphold you with my victorious right hand. Trust me, Ron. I mean, 300, I can't remember, three, 366 times the Bible says, fear not, do not be afraid. Now, why do you think 366 times the Bible says that? Because God knew what our natural tendency is. We're fearful people, most of us. And so he says, hey, you can trust me. You don't need to be afraid. Fear not. I am with you. Will you trust me? So you might be thinking, well, hey, I, I could never get involved in shipwrecked. Well, you probably don't have the skill set. But God, God can use that. I remember taking one of the teams down to, the, to, the, or down to Uganda, and when I go down to Uganda, it's kind of like Moses coming down from the mountain. It's like, oh, Mr. Ron is coming, and well, Ron, you, will you do this, 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 and they have a great big long list of all the things they want Ron to do. Well, Ron can't do everything, so I asked the mids. I said, hey, um, is anybody willing to do a seminar? Well, Ron, I've never done it before, but if you need me, I guess I'm available. And I thought, you're the person for the job because you're not going to get in the way of what God wants to do in and through you. And, and so we worked together about a seminar, and they did a fantastic job. But they had never done that before. They had to get out of the boat. They had to trust the Almighty God. And they saw God as being faithful, as being a provider, as being an enabler. So if God's asking you to teach at shipwreck, or if he's asking you to to help tear down or set up or serve food or direct traffic or whatever it is he's asking, do it. Even if he's at, I was talking with Michael, and Michael's son is going to Kampala. Well, for a parent, that's kind of a big deal. I had one, one parent told me, or tell me, and he said, my daughter is not going to go with you to Uganda. I said, well, why not? It's too dangerous down there. And I didn't say this to him, but I thought to myself, and what is she preparing to do? She was preparing to be a Marine. <laughs> it's too dangerous in Kampala. I'd rather walk in the open streets of Kampala than in, 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 in Annapolis or Eastport. I remember one time being on a train coming back from New York City, and I had fallen asleep, and all of a sudden I heard Baltimore, and I got up and got out. Turned out I got out one station too early. It wasn't Baltimore, Washington Airport. It was the city of Baltimore. I thought, well, that's no big, biggie. I get my suitcase, and I'm walking out the door, and the, and the officer there, well, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to wait for my wife. No, you're not. I can't protect you out there. You stay right here. 
and wait for her to come, and then, and then we'll go from there. That's in Baltimore, Maryland. Unsafe? Uganda? I don't know. God may be asking you to go to Uganda. Or he may just be asking you to go across the street. He may be asking you to go across the room. I don't know what he's asking you to do. But I know God, God has eternal purposes and God uses people in his eternal purpose. Maybe it means going to Japan again, you know. Um, but I really meant what I said. You are the heroes of the faith because you are the men and women right here right now, that God desires to use. And all you need to do is get out of the boat and trust God. So Jacob is faced with a decision. Is he going to make a decision of faith? Is he going to yield? Okay, Benjamin, brothers, you, you, our sons, you can take your brother Benjamin. Or is he going to hold back Benjamin? I don't know. We're going to sort this famine thing out somehow. But I'm not sending Benjamin. Well, if you read the story in Genesis 43, you know it. He said, okay, Benjamin, you go, and may God Almighty give you mercy. And I love what the message says. May the strong God give you grace. Well, ladies and gentlemen, whatever the step of faith is he's asking you to take, our strong God is going to give you the grace to get the job done. He'll give you the resources as well as the opportunities to get the job done. So, we may be in good hands with Allstate. For many years, I insured our car with Allstate. And then I found Geico was a little bit cheaper, so we went with Geico. <laughs> but we're in better hands with God if we make decisions not in fear. Fear not, Ron, for I am with you. I, I want to help you. I'm going to use my Victoria's right hand to help you. And so, Ron, make a decision of faith. And I love this little saying, those who leave everything in God's hand will eventually see God's hand in everything. Why? Because God is sovereign. God's in it all. One of the men that I've had the privilege of discipling is Major Lipstrew. He's a, a Marine Corps major, and he led us through a, uh, a study on several weeks on the character of God. And as we studied each character, we were quality, we were to come up with a little phrase that was going to help us when the time of testing or hard times came. So I remember on the, uh, when we studied God's sovereignty, and he said, here's my phrase, God's got this. And I went to Bill, and I said, Bill, you have no idea how many times I've used that. Maybe my wife is sick, God's got this. Or my daughter didn't pass the nursing exam. God's got this. Or maybe I lost my job. God's got this. It doesn't, and what that does, that little phrase, is it, it helps me to focus or takes a focus off the circumstances and places it on the creator God. God's got this. He can handle it. I'm going to get out of the boat with him. Why? Because he's asking me to get out of the boat. So I'm not just going to get out of the boat for the sake of an experience of getting out of the boat. But if he's saying, go to Uganda... Sir, yes, sir. If he's saying go to the Naval Academy, sir, yes, sir. If he's asking you, serve in shipwrecked or something else, sir, yes, sir. So these are a few questions that I'd like you to think about sometime today to help you make decisions, not out of fear, but in faith, to help you get out of the boat if God's asking you to get out of the boat.
So what are your horses? What are your chariots? What is the little baby step that God's asking you to take? And I don't say baby step to minimize, but it's like, I can't take the big step. It's like in that one slide, we, those of you who have kids, you know, when they were small, they kind of get up and they fall down. I was with a family the other day, and, and their son's just about ready to crawl. And so they learn to crawl, and then they learn to stand, and they take little steps, and they fall down. And so eventually, you learn to walk, and then you learn to run. But it's a process, and it's a process that takes time, and it takes nurturing, and it takes encouragement from the parents. And I think the walk of faith is the same way. And so this is a community. This is a family, a fellowship, where we ought to encourage one another to take those steps of faith. So... What is the baby step that God's asking me to take? Uh, Because I am in God's good hands. Okay.